This is Jackson Peterson, and I'm a sales agronomist for CHS Ag Services in Humboldt, Minnesota. We're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network, CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Good morning, Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Don Wick with Randy Coonan in studio. Got a special guest coming our way as well this morning with Prairie Grains underway this week. In Farm News, volatility continuing in the grain market. Comstock Investments market analyst Joe Camp says traders are watching to see if the grains can hold on to these gains. Still that nervousness generally about the economy and what's going on geopolitically. So a lot of different inputs, and that has been causing this sort of back and forth, but overall still pessimistic in a way about demand than this market has been, and that's something that's weighed on futures. We'll see if that changes as we get closer into this end of the week. We've got a crop report ahead, which will be very focused on demand and how we're doing on that front. Camp expects traders to position for a negative supply and demand report. That's going to be the case here that overall, having been talking about a negative expectation for the government analysts and their view on usage that could certainly start with exports, whether it's corn or soybeans. It was nice to see the big daily sales announcement for soybeans to China earlier this week, but on the corn and wheat side, we continued to have sluggish numbers and and don't have that same participation on corn and wheat from China. Crop insurance is the number one priority for the National Association of Wheat Growers in the next farm bill. NOG President Nicole Berg also wants to see the PLC reference price for wheat to move beyond the current $5.50 level. Take all the regions in the United States, $7 is our break-even. And so we're two and a half dollars below our break-even in our reference price. And is that really fair? That doesn't really cover our costs. It doesn't, it doesn't really help us when we're price takers. And so we have to be able to be able to, you know, sit there and talk about how we can't take these high, high inputs we have right now and pass it on to our customers. Pennsylvania Congressman G.T. Thompson is the new chair of the House Ag Committee. He's an open-door policy. I've met with him many times up on the Hill. Um, definitely. Stabano on the other side, same thing. I mean, I think it's going to be different negotiations when you have some of the past, like Colin Peterson, not there. Uh, uh, Robert's not there. Um, it's going to be interesting because you're going to have a lot of new people voting on their very first farm bill. The Minnesota legislature will have a new look in the upcoming session. The majority shifted in the Senate, resulting in one-party rule in both chambers. The entire House and Senate leadership team is new, with the exception of House Speaker Melissa Hortman. Ag lobbyist Bruce Clavens says a large percentage of the legislature has changed. We have a lot of new faces this year with the redistricting the retirements. I think it's 40 or 50. But we also have that crop from 2020. When they got elected and came in, many of them have not even been in a committee hearing room. So there's probably 20, 30 of those folks as well. So we have a whole slew that are coming in that have never been in person. Speaking at the Minnesota Association of Wheat Growers meeting, Clavin said the legislative days on the Hill will take on greater importance. Agriculture has been able to hold off bills that target common farming practices in the past, but that will become more difficult. I still have concerns about the House passing those things, and, and what you're referring to would be the bans on neonics, bans on Roundup, bans on treated seed, those kind of things. EPA registers this stuff. If there's an issue with it, they're going to find it. So when it trickles down to the state legislature, it's also often done 
on just a whim. I have an election certificate, so I'm going to take it away from you. So what we'll do, I think, is focus on the Senate again. It's what we've done in past years. The Senate members have four-year terms instead of two years, so they're a little bit slower, a little bit more deliberative. And we've always found an open audience there. North Dakota's legislative session starts January 3rd. State Senator Terry Wanzik excited to get to work. One focus is on expanding value-added agriculture across the state. I'm excited for this legislative session. This is my 14th session. Uh, I can't believe I've been there that long. You know, you get your parking based on seniority, and my parking spot is the number one. It's got number one on it. So that's how long I've been here. Um, you know, I'm very excited even at this stage of experience uh, with these projects. I mean, not very often do we have $7 billion of investors wanting to invest in our state at, at one time. I mean, it's exciting, and the farmer in me is really excited because it's fertilizer that they want to manufacture, which will help us immensely. Mindac Farmers Cooperative is celebrating its 50th anniversary during its annual meeting today in Fargo. Mindac was officially formed in August of 1972, producing its first beet crop in 1974. This is the Red River Farm Network. Good morning, farm news on the Red River Farm Network, and we are fortunate enough to have a live guest with us in studio this morning to the Prairie Grains Conference underway in Grand Forks. Farm Bureau, Minnesota Farm Bureau Executive Director Karen Schaefer in studio. Karen, first of all, thanks so much for joining us. You are welcome. Good morning. Let's let's talk. Uh, obviously, we're going into a, a new legislative session. Minnesota Farm Bureau put out its priority list coming out of, out of your state convention. I, I thought it was interesting to look at some of the issues. Uh, uh, workforce development, uh, health care, availability of child care, um, why are some of those kind of issues, I would look at maybe more non-traditional issues, why are they on that priority list? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you noticed that because I think we are hearing more and more from our members that it's not just about, you know, taxes, uh, crop and livestock issues. It's those second tier issues that are really impacting their business. And it's also impacting rural vitality and making sure that our rural communities are strong, that we have a workforce to be able to get the products into market, uh, as well as making sure that uh, our farm families have the basic necessities that uh, they need broadband, the access to child care, and, and housing availability has really been a key issue that we're hearing. And I think health care, too, continues to be a big a big issue. Yeah, health care has been actually a priority for us for several years, but what we're seeing is it's sometimes been, been morphed now into more availability of health care as we see some of these smaller clinics in rural communities maybe closing or merging. Uh, services get a little bit uh, stretched thin. They have to go to a, a larger metropolitan uh, city to, to get access to that. And one of the ideas and, and comments that have come from our members as well is the need for mental health care resources has become uh, a higher uh, priority and also the availability of that is, is somewhat challenging, a long wait list to get in to, to see a professional. We saw the news this week, a $17 billion surplus in the state of Minnesota. From rural Minnesota agriculture's perspective, what does that mean? Um, yeah, we were actually pretty shocked by that number. Um, it was significantly higher than than what it was last year. And um, hearing kind of some of the discussions around, we want to make sure that we're spending those dollars uh, 
very responsibly if there's opportunities to get those tax dollars back in the hands of, of our members and, and citizens of Minnesota, but also looking at these one-time investments that a lot of people are talking about. Um, this surplus will probably provide a lot of opportunities for folks to throw ideas at the table uh, about one-time investment, and we want to make sure if there are some investments, we're looking at infrastructure, roads, bridges, we're looking at um, you know actual projects that are going to help farmers and ranchers to, to do their business every day, uh, looking at resources that might be needed for the University of Minnesota and some of the research and innovation uh, priorities, but then also, um, you know, just being very responsible with those dollars because uh, we, we recognize that tides are shifting out there in the economy and what does this look like in two years um, and making sure that we're not uh, overspending. Right. There's been a lot of talk about uh, we need to educate a lot of people in the halls of Washington, D.C., but it also goes on in, at the state capitol in St. Paul, too. Absolutely. Um, I, I, if listeners just heard Bruce Clavin talking, we, we've been really strategizing as an agriculture community in Minnesota. We have a lot of new legislators and a lot of legislators that we haven't even met since COVID um, since we haven't been able to be in person. So it's putting a face to the name. It's being able to connect, understand what's important to them. Uh, there's a greater and greater divide between rural and urban, uh, and we want to close that gap regardless of, of party affiliation. Just uh, quickly, American Farm Bureau Federation Convention is going to be here in a matter of weeks, early January. That's really where all that grassworks policy work culminates. We start at the county level, go through the state. Uh, uh, it's it's always interesting to see those delegate sessions come together like that. Yeah, we will actually be in hopefully sunny uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, uh, in early January. And we're really excited because we have several state uh, policies that are moving forward to the American Farm Bureau for consideration. And those all started as county ideas. So a county member came to the table and said, this is something that, that concerns me and something that I want uh, the American Farm Bureau and the Minnesota Farm Bureau to consider. And it's moving its way through those channels to be debated uh, by all of our delegates at the American Farm Bureau. Karen, it's uh, great to have you in studio with this one. It's a real treat for us. Well, thank you. I've heard this is a longstanding tradition, and I would hate to have, you know, ended this this streak <laughs> we've had going. Well, good deal. Karen Shaper with us. Again, uh, Executive Director of the Minnesota Farm Bureau Federation. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Good morning. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network at the Prairie Grains Conference in Grand Forks. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Whitney Pittman got the numbers on strip till from Crookston area farmer Drew Dragseth. Winter meetings give farmers and ranchers a chance to check in with their peers to discuss successes and downfalls of the past year while gathering ideas and seeing data to help make decisions for the year and years ahead. Sugar beet farmer Drew Drag Seth says strip tilling has saved money and improved soil retention at their farm near Crookston, Minnesota. That's kind of where we've been focusing uh, heavily on is, is both sugar beet and, and soybean strip tilling, uh, whether it's into cover crops or, or allowing stubble to be left on the field uh, is, a big, is a big help uh, either way. So, And moving forward, uh, we're going to keep working on strip tilling and, and finding a way to make it work even better. Dragseth says the initial cost can be a hesitation for some producers, but finding used equipment is worth keeping your soil on your own fields. 
the price was a deterrent until we were able to find a used machine that would work for us, and, and it's definitely been a, a long road from there, but uh, nothing like a little challenge on the farm to get a piece of equipment running for us. Uh, just with the stubble being there, even that little two to three inches of stubble has uh, allowed us to not have blowing dirt, uh, and especially in northern Minnesota, it's quite uh, obvious when you do have blowing dirt, you have a lot of white stuff out there in the in the winter, so it, when it gets black, you realize that... Uh, there's a lot of blowing dirt, and, and with that strip, or uh, just the strip being no more than maybe six, eight inches wide, it allows for much less erosion, So and also putting fertilizer right where we want it to be. Reporting from the Prairie Grains Conference in Grand Forks, North Dakota, I'm Whitney Pittman. The North Dakota Grain Growers Association honored Belfield farmer Greg Kessel with its Colonel Award last night, the Colonel Award for the Ag Industry was given to North Dakota Barley Council Executive Director Steve Edwardson. Checking those markets, we are higher for Minneapolis wheat, one penny higher for March at 9.03, the May contract three cents better. Chicago wheat, one and a quarter higher, KC wheat down a quarter cent. March corn, a fraction better, half cent higher right now, 6.41 and three quarters, even money for July. Soybeans, January, 14.74 and a half, two and a half higher, March two and a quarter higher at 14.79 and a half. And as we look into the farm calendar, as mentioned, it is the Prairie Grains Conference. They're actually starting with their wheat and soybean research and reporting sessions here at the top of the hour. The uh, trade show exhibits open at eight o'clock. Their sessions, uh, general sessions, begin at nine o'clock. They'll have uh, a look at what's going on with the supply chain, the input price volatility, logistics, with a, a session at 9.10 this morning, uh, Paul Gertis from CHS being the presenter, Mark Jerick from Northern Crops Institute on the program today, and this afternoon, Daryl Richardson from the North Dakota Agricultural Weather Network giving his outlook for 2023. And also take note, the canola growers have uh, joined in with the Prairie Grains Conference this year. Uh, they've got uh, a couple sessions on uh, canola diseases this, uh, uh, today as well in Grand Forks. We'll see you at the show. This is the Red River Farm Network.